Hello and welcome back, guys. How are you doing? Keeping well? You are obviously listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast, season two. We're back for another incredible episode and you are going to really enjoy this one. Yes, we are with some of our favourite people. I am Michael Wes's better half. We're back in the studio, uh, but this time we're in Dublin. So thanks for downloading us again. So have you subscribed? If not, then make sure you do. If you're new here, welcome. If not, and you loved season one, then you're in for an absolute treat today. So today's episode is a two-parter and you are listening to part one. This episode is proudly supported by Sims IVF in Ireland. Sims IVF, with over two decades of experience, they are the leading name in fertility treatments in Ireland, dedicated to bringing hope and happiness to many couples and individuals. They understand that each journey is unique and that's why at Sims IVF they offer personalised care tailored to your needs. Sims IVF is committed to your family journey. Take the first step towards your future today. Visit their website at sims.ie to learn more about their services and success stories. This episode is all about international surrogacy for Irish intended parents and some of those things that you really need to consider. So today we're talking to Annette Hickey, Irish Families Through Surrogacy and Armand Key Paternity Services. So we are thrilled to be joined by Annette, Sinead and Audrey. Welcome ladies, how are you all? Great, thank you. Great, thank you. Good. So we should probably start really with telling our lovely listener a bit more about my surrogacy journey and how we are helping Irish intended parents navigate their surrogacy journey. I will indeed. So my surrogacy journey is a not-for-profit surrogacy organisation. Our core values are about helping people navigate through every stage of their journey and Irish intended parents need support like everyone else on a journey and I think it's really important that we help people understand what a successful journey can look like, what are all of the key components and how do you navigate a safe journey. Now we're going to be joined today with some real experts, people who've got real experience, lived experience, professional experience. Mm -hmm. So I think my surrogacy journey is all about helping people navigate those key stages and the partnerships that we build and the people that we work with are all there designed to help people succeed we all know that surrogacy is a is it can be a minefield and often you you approach surrogacy not it being your first choice or a plan that you ever thought you would embark on but all we want to do is try and help people understand what safe surrogacy looks like yeah what does good surrogacy look like what does bad surrogacy look like and what are some of the key factors that you should consider and what are those red flags because Sometimes there are red flags all over the place and you just don't see them. And then sometimes you do see them. But what, what does it mean when you see a red flag and how, how should you approach it? So I'm hoping that the listener gets all of that information today. And uh, we do have some amazing guests who are going to give some first-hand experience, but also some really practical and impartial advice uh, to the people listening on this podcast. So why don't we start with law? And I'm looking at you, Annette Hickey. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the current law in Ireland and what it means to Irish intended parents. Well, at the moment, July 2023, 
Uh, we are at such a historic moment in Ireland for Irish families, for society, for surrogacy. We are waiting the publication of amended provisions to the Health Assisted Human Reproduction Bill. And that piece of really, really essentially important legislation is going to include provisions uh, which will provide uh, for international surrogacy, for domestic surrogacy and also retrospective pathways to parenthood for the second parent of children um, born in Ireland through surrogacy at this stage. So it's a really, really um, historic stage, but it's also causes lots of uncertainty and anxiety because people are going from a a situation here in Ireland where surrogacy it's unregulated and when families return here to Ireland after their international surrogacy journey we are utilising say 1964 and 1987 pieces of legislation in order to bring an application for a declaration of parentage, guardianship and custody for the biological father before the Irish court. You know, at this moment in time uh, for any second parent if it's a same sex couple or for the Irish mam. There is no route to parenthood for that parent. Um, the only legal relationship that the second parent can have with their child is step parent guardianship. And the parent must wait uh, two years to be able to bring that application before the court. Um, so this um, will allow Irish children born through surrogacy uh, here in Ireland domestically or international surrogacy once uh, there's compliance with the regulated framework that's going to be included in the legislation. And I suppose just jumping slightly off the question, that's I think that's where the importance of such phenomenal advocacy uh, groups like Irish Families to Surrogacy, Irish Gay Dads, um, NISIG, Equality for Children, who are having ongoing and continuing engagement with the ministers and with the government to ensure that the legislation that we will have here will be world class, that it will be we will be a jurisdiction that other countries will look towards, that it will be ethical that it will ensure that there isn't exploitation of anybody and that it won't be overly restrictive. We want this to work. We don't want unintended consequences. So, yeah, I am very excited and privileged to be working in this area um, when we're, you know, it's the dawn of a new era and hopefully, and we've got to believe that it's going to be, you know, a a bright chapter and future for Irish surrogacy. You know, we've watched your work from afar for a number of years now and you've constantly been at that forefront of working with the people that you've just mentioned and campaigning and 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 representing parents that have been on such arduous complex journeys what was it with surrogacy Annette if this this is a, a kind of off topic question but uh, this now and again. I know I do sometimes topic. go off topic <laughs> but what is it with surrogacy that has kept that fire burning with you and that passion to see this all the way through um, I am a practicing solicitor. I'm qualified 25 years. It took me up to 10 years ago to find, I suppose, my true kind of the light bulb moment when I said, oh, this is why I became a solicitor. When I was a young child, my father died from cancer. I was the second oldest of eight children and I was left with a phenomenal mum who reared us at the eight of us. And we were all, we've all done well. We're all happy, kind of sane people. Um, so this allowed me come into an area where I was able to help families Um, and parents and it just that kind of passion. It was a positive area of law. I was moving from an area where I was working with families, divorces, separations. So it was like the the flip side where you and you could contribute and we were in a you were in a position where you could give practical support, advice and guidance. Um, And I suppose what I always say to any intended parent that I'm working with, there's a few core words here. 
safe. Your journey has to be safe. Trust the people that you're working with. You have to trust them and honesty. Mm-hmm. Like honesty is a huge, huge, huge part of a surrogacy journey. Things might go wrong. There might be blips. There might be little un- unanticipated situations to be dealt with along the way. But when the people you are working with are honest and you have a tight scaffolding, you put that scaffolding in place at the start before any treatment, before any uh, contracts are signed. These are the people that are going to work with you through your surrogacy journey until you're back here in Ireland with your court order and your family is um, is safe. You know, for me, the couples and the families I've worked with, you know, they were clients at one stage. They're now very good friends. And the lady sitting to my left here, I would count as one of uh, my very good friends. We've unfinished business for <laughs> Sinead because Sinead is, uh, and I know I'm jumping in on top of Sinead now, but Sinead is Theo's mum. We all know that. And I can't wait Absolutely. It would be a phenomenal day when the Irish courts and the Irish state acknowledge that, um, you know, that uh, Theo has his dad is Mark and his mum is Sinead and we just need to fix that. Yeah, we absolutely do. I'm going to come to you in a minute. There's so much amazing work being done, though. I mean, like Michael and I have been watching this for a couple of years and there's been so much, so much hard work gone into it. And there's there, but there's so much change, right? You know, to embark on a surrogacy journey, particularly for our uh, heterosexual couples or single people who have been on such a journey to get to that point and then to get your child, but then not get the legal recognition. It must be heartbreaking. It must be it must be really difficult. Yeah, it's really difficult. I actually when I started the whole process, there wasn't the advocacy groups that were kind of established now in Ireland the whole landscape in Ireland has changed drastically in the last two years probably Mm. a little bit over it's lovely for I suppose new intended parents starting out the journey that they have all those supports around them there was kind of none of those supports that you could reach out to back then. Your only kind of way of figuring out where was safe and ethical and where had the legislation was through Google and through speaking to a solicitor, you know, but even that, like I found Annette's um, you know, information on on Google itself, do you know, yeah. and then it was from reading threads yeah. kind of on boards.ie and stuff like that, that I found out kind of where like the clinics that were safe and ethical and like in terms of like where had legislation and stuff like that. But it was more where had kind of all the the legal kind of framework in place was through our solicitor net. Like we didn't just rely on what the internet was saying for that. I suppose I I did do a lot of research, but there's only so much kind of you can right, you so can do on the internet and then everyone has their own views as well totally. on, on it. Do you know, it's a I went through IVF, so I knew everyone had different experiences in different clinics. Like I, I would have found some clinics just didn't suit me. They uh-huh. they didn't meet my needs, but other people would have had success there. So they would have had that success story. So I suppose your view is a little bit different when you have a child out of it or your experience is being really positive. But for someone else, that experience may be really negative. So I was very conscious of that, I suppose, because I'd gone through an IVF process in Ireland um, prior to kind of starting up my, my surrogacy journey, like, you know, so. And when you got to that point when you knew your IVF journey was drawing to an end yeah. and you were faced with making that decision on what happens next, Google became your everything, it sounds. Yeah, it did. Ultimately, it did at the start um, when I was initially looking into it for the first week or so was just kind of trying to find out how we even went about this process. Um 
yeah, I I read kind of newspaper articles that may have been in the the news prior to like us commencing it um, to kind of figure out. Like I had to find out on Google um, that, you know, legally I would never be Theo's mother. I, I actually wasn't aware of that when I started the journey initially. I didn't know there was no laws or provisions in Ireland to recognise me as his mother. And it kind of made me think, I was like, do I want to go down this route and not have rights to my child? But then look you have to look at completing your family and wanting that family and the only way that was viable at that time for myself and Mark because we had gone down probably 13 or 14 IVF cycles with a few miscarriages along the way and we'd been on that road for a long time and that November in 2019 we'd reached that point where we'd lost uh, another baby and I'd always lose them quite early on so they were very early miscarriages With no answers, I, I was diagnosed with endometriosis, an element of polycystic ovary um, syndrome, but they felt like my immune system was attacking the embryos as well, and that could have been a cause. But there was no conclusive reason a clinic could tell me why this was never working. So, yeah, so my only option at that time was surrogacy for us as a family. So when you're left with only having that option, you're kind of... it. <laughs> That will and that want overrides totally. what how you're like seen as in the eyes mm-hmm. of the law, um, and you're and blinkered then, though, aren't you? You're, yeah, you're, you're so very fixed blinkered, to... and that's the thing. You're very vulnerable as well yep. in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I reached out kind of on the threads. I found out that um, Annette Hickey was kind of well respected in that industry. So I reached out to Annette and I set up a call and we had a face to face over in Liffey Valley, I think it was at the time in Costa Coffee. Mm-hmm. Myself and Mark went over and uh, yeah, we had our first meeting and I suppose that was when we had a sense of where we're safe and you know, Annette couldn't advise on clinics or anything like that. It was impartial. Like it was up to us to kind of find out. Yeah. But like my number one concern was that where I was going had the legal framework in place. And that's where we came to decision to choose the Ukraine. That was pre-war times when mm-hmm. obviously we chose that route as well. How crazy that we're talking about pre-war times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Who would have ever thought that that would be part of our that, narrative and conversation? That, that's yeah. our language currently. Crazy. Yeah. But amazing, Sinead, that you actually, some people don't seek the right advice and some people don't make informed decisions based on yeah. professional advice. You know, so you, you did the right thing. You sought advice. You, you got independent legal advice and you chose a destination that was right for you based on that advice. Some people just don't do that, do they? They just kind of... No, and it's not all about that it's also about engaging with the clinics like we would have met I sourced three different clinics over in um, Ukraine at the time and we met um, and had Skype calls with each of those clinics and we didn't make a decision until we spoke to the clinics Uh um, because we wanted to make the best decision for us and the surrogate at the end of the day this is somebody that's carrying your child And I mean, I did it with IVF as well because I went over to to Prague um, and we did the same thing. We, we met with a two or three different clinics and we based our decision on what we felt information was was right for us as a couple and what safeguards and how how clinics were run as well and what, what the clinic was about. Do you know that? Because there is exploitation going on. So, sure. mm. yeah, we want to make everything sure everything was safe. Safety is a really critical part, and I think part of that safety is a destination. So let's let's jump right in, Annette, because there are lots of destinations that we hear on the surrogacy landscape, and we're talking a global surrogacy landscape here. 
and a landscape that is constantly changing. You know, we heard a couple of weeks ago about the announcement about Georgia potentially, you know, going to stop in international intended parents using that destination. We're hearing rumours about Colombia. There's there's always something going on from a global surrogacy point of view. And uh, there are some like really far out destinations that people are talking about right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Irish intended parents are, a lot of people are pursuing uh, international surrogacy journeys in various different countries. Um, when anybody contacts me, and I think at the moment, it's very much, you know, when you get that initial call, it's like, oh my God, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What's the story? I don't comment on particular countries or agencies or clinics. The kind of approach I take is these are the kind of questions you need to ask. Number one, what's the legal status of surrogacy in that country? Is it is there a law? Is it regulated? Is it un- unregulated? Um, what exactly is the situation? Number two, where is the surrogate from? Mm-hmm. Is the surrogate living? Is that her home country? Um, number three, do we have an embassy there? Do we have a consular there? Uh, number four, what is the eligibility requirement um, in that country? Are you going to be you know, eligible to kind of pursue surrogacy and to um, exit? Number five, and maybe this should be number one in no particular <laughs> order, but like while there's a pregnancy and there is a surrogacy, the most important person for the nine months is the surrogate. So what's her situation? How is she going to be cared for? How is she going to be supported practically, emotionally, otherwise? Intended parents will make their own decision. People are going various different countries. There's a list of countries. Are we working with people who are returning from those countries? Yes, we are. You know, you've got your USA, you've got your USA, Canada, Georgia. um, And as you said, from the 1st of January 2024, um, the expectation is that that is going to be, uh, you know, any international intended parents can't pursue surrogacy in Georgia. You've got Greece, you've got North Cyprus, you've got um, Mexico, Colombia. Um, Argentina and yes um, the Department of Foreign Affairs here in Ireland that's another thing we would always say is look at the travel advisory and see what advice they're giving mm-hmm. uh, you know for any of the countries the Department of Foreign Affairs have um, given very 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 clear advice regarding their extremely serious concerns about um, intended parents pursuing surrogacy in Ukraine um, we share the concern of the Department of Foreign Affairs we publish the letters that we receive from the Department of Foreign Affairs and intended parents are making their own decision regarding where they're going to travel to with the, uh, I suppose, I would like to think plain, simple, practical, real kind of practical, whatever questions and kind of situations. And, I, and oftentimes when we're talking to intended parents, I would say to them, like, have you asked the clinic this? Have you asked the agency that? And I think people don't actually realise you're, you have a right, you have an entitlement. Ask. Mm. This is your child. They don't get to tell you. I often, like, no one gets to tell you this is the way or it's going shouldn't. to be. Yeah, and if they do, that's a red flag. If they're telling you this is the way it's going to be, you kind of say, hold up a second. This is my child. This is my family. This is my surrogacy journey. Um, and I, like that, I mean, if, if agencies and clinics are saying, oh, we promise you the dream. You know, no one can promise you the dream. I guarantee you a baby within two years. Like, you know, how? how. (laughs) Um, And it's even like, we, you know, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be fabulous. And if this, you know, sometimes agencies will start talking about the exit process and the couple are describing, you know, how they they see the exit process being. And I'm like, wait now, this agency or clinic, they think you're coming from England. They don't, you know, you know, it's not a British passport. Uh, you know, and are you, is it an emergency travel certificate we need 
for you to get out of the country? Are you an Irish citizen? Is the dad biologically related? I mean, that is the nightmare situation. And I mean, thank God um, to date, I've never had that situation. But if, if an Irish intended parent pursues surrogacy in a country where they require an emergency travel certificate to exit that country, the biological father must be an Irish citizen in order to be able to apply for an emergency travel certificate from the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs. And the um, emergency travel certificate, a DNA test is the essential aspect of that. And I mean, there's one like, you know, the preferred partner, the Department of Foreign Affairs are absolutely fully satisfied with. And that's Ormond Key Paternity Services. These are the people will make sure the DNA test is done to the absolute standard that our government and our, our, you know, that our country requires. So it's even to have all of that information. And as I said, going back into the scaffolding, to have your scaffolding in place at the start of the journey. Uh And that's a great segue. Let's look. Let's look at that particular element then, Audrey, in terms of that DNA and the 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 whole exit, the whole exit process and, and and what's required. So, tell us a bit more about the services that you get called upon to do and what's involved in your daily world. For like for the surrogacy, like for the exit visa, what we need to do is like we have to have a partner clinic or a doctor in the country of birth where they can attend and they'll also have to be close to the the embassy or the consulate that's where the, the family will go and then the a representative from the embassy or the consulate will attend where there's no jurisdiction and there's no consulate um, or embassy they have an independent lawyer there's two independent lawyers that act on behalf of the Department of Foreign Affairs and they attend to witness the appointments so it, it's done through there and then once the appointment is complete there, samples are sent via DHL to a laboratory, which is in the UK. The analysis is done there within a 24 hour period and the re- results are issued. They're sent to the Department of Foreign Affairs and then also to the intended parents. And from there, providing they have all the other paperwork is in order, um, they issue the emergency travel certificate to come home. Wow. Okay. So it is quite a quick process. And I think there are many countries in the world who like just mm. as an example, the UK, I mean, Often they don't have that quick process in all destinations, so they, the UK doesn't have that process. Yeah. When should a set of intended parents contact you, and, and what what's that time frame? They can contact anywhere from four, fourteen weeks. Um, yes. Um, now some don't contact until after birth. <laughs> Which is not um, what you want. <laughs> well, no, something I'm very used to, um, but we always have like we're always aware like. Um, We'll have our doctors on standby. We'll have DNA test kits there and everything is in order. So we'll minimise any delay where possible. I suppose the only delay that we encounter will be DHL. Now, DHL have been our shipping partner for over 10 years. I rely on them solely. Um, They don't let us down, but like there is time delays, like weather effect and all that. And they're out of our, like it's out of our hands and there's nothing we can do. So that does add time to it. But we do advise intended parents. But I mean, you can only give so much advice. Sure. It's it's about like, you know, just sitting back and taking time and understanding that like we're doing the quickest we can. And, and that's the beauty of this podcast as well. It's, it's getting people and, and introducing them to people like you that are aware of what those processes look like and what is best practice. And the earlier people can engage with you, the better and the smoother the journey yes. can potentially be. And that's, that's the whole purpose of, of, of this. So for our listener that's listening now, this is the whole 
point what are you staring at Wes well I was just about to say exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> no, even if the listener listens to this podcast and realizes actually I need to engage with you guys earlier yeah. because for me it's about how do you understand the whole end-to-end process mm-hmm. and understand where you need the support because if you know exactly what that journey looks like from end-to-end then you can start looking at all of the key components and looking at who I need to engage with for those components because yes you say you can deal with it when they once the baby's born but that's not the ideal because if they're contacting you once the baby's born then they really haven't they really don't know the process and we would encourage anyone who's embarking on a surrogacy or about to embark on a surrogacy journey to kind of really understand what that journey looks like because how do you know if you can exit quickly enough and how Mm, do you know if you can plan how long you're going to have to be in country i mean surely you must need to know that if you are taking a real pragmatic approach to what that journey looks like because every single country has different exit processes and and like you said there's no embassy there so how do you deal with it you know there's lots of different things people Mm. need to consider and added costs as well sorry just i was going to say that i mean in certain countries if our embassy if we don't have an embassy or a consulate there and if there are like say North Cyprus, there's two lawyers at the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs, you know, recognised as being in a position to attend and to witness the DNA on behalf of the Irish state. The intended parents are responsible to discharge their costs and their fees of attending. Um, the surrogate must attend the DNA test. Now, she doesn't partake, but she's there to consent to it when it's an emergency travel certificate situation. So I suppose that's the role of somebody from the embassy or the consul is to witness and to attend and to be in a position to satisfy the Irish state that the surrogate's consent was given fully and freely. I I mean, I think it's really important, like, you know, as you're saying, that intended parents engage with Armand Key as soon as possible so that they can see what documentation is required, what they need to have in place. I think it's also really important that they contact the embassy or the Department of Foreign Affairs or most surrogacy solicitors in Ireland will have the documentary checklist requirements for an emergency travel certificate so that you can see what documentation you're going to need, what lawyers in the country of birth, what needs to be postilled, what needs to be notarised, what you need to bring with you from Ireland. Preparation is the key. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, sure. yeah. and these documents, Annette, they're, they're not quick documents, especially if you need them apostilling. You know, there's quite an extensive list as well, you know. Uh, for us, we would always recommend know what you need, start preparing towards it and start working in a timely way. And then that way you're going to minimise any amount of time in country. So it's an absolute minimum. And that's what everyone needs. That's what everyone wants. They want to be home, back with their support network, their family seeing their new additions to the family. That's what everyone everyone wants, right? Yeah, I think what happens sometimes is as in turn, I know for myself, from my own personal experience, there's so much in the surrogacy journey in terms of documentation that you need to prepare. And sometimes you kind of, when you find out that you're expecting your little baby, you kind of get um, taken away from, I suppose, the, I suppose, all the paperwork end of it. And you're kind of more focused on like, you know, ensuring like your surrogate is okay and the baby is doing fine and you're getting your updates on your scans and like all the medical checkups with the surrogate. And towards obviously going over you're kind of booking your flights like you're sorting out all your accommodation does it more contact with the clinic kind of in the lead up to it as well and it's little things like that that can be forgotten but I think those checklists are like really important and just having those like on hand because I know for myself personally we actually couldn't find our do you remember Annette we couldn't find our marriage certificate and the clinic we'd actually brought it over to the clinic when we met them initially and signed all our contracts 
but we had forgotten we had done that. So we had to go and get an emergency marriage certificate. And it was a race, I could say, I think two or three days before oh, wow. we travelled out to, you know, over to Kiev um, um, for Theo to be born. So it's just little things like that. And then we, I think we had kind of left Ormond Keys to the last minute as well. And uh-huh. I just felt like there were so many emotions going on for us, like in the couple of weeks beforehand, like we were really up and down. And, and so, much to do. so excited and then like obviously really nervous and you've got all these emotions going on and it's not, I'd be quite an organised person. But when you have those other things at play, sometimes like your mind is just in a different zone. And that's so, fine. And that's yeah, totally and it's fine. totally normal. But yeah, de- definitely. Like I got kind of swept away by the emotion kind of override. Yeah, it's the emotions kind of override what you would sensibly do in a normal situation, like the documentation, making sure everything is ticked. And I thought maybe I had everything kind of organised, but the reality was maybe I didn't have as much yeah, organised sure, as what sure. I needed to do. You know? And that's kind of where it's our job as an organisation when we yeah. help Irish and Teddy parents to help them navigate through the key milestones and get everything in place when you're ready. Because we all know that when intended parents are at the start of the journey, they're, they're kind of more ready to get everything done. So that's what we try and do is get you fit for your journey and get everything in place so that once you do stand being swept away with all of the the nice stuff you kind of got all the practical stuff ready so when you need to pick it up again Mm -hmm. it's all done and that's why Irish Times says families through surrogacy as a group like because that's well established now like we have intended parents that are kind of reaching out to us at the beginning of their journeys as well and Irish gay dads would be similar as well we all have that contact built up now with the new intended parents so that network is established so we can kind of advise, I suppose, from our own personal experience of what we went through, maybe with not having those supports in place, mm-hmm. that we can like let parents know, OK, you may not be thinking of this, but make sure you have this in place and that in place, you know, prior to you departing, like to your country or destination. It's a great kind of a support network that we have now established oh, it's in It's an Ireland. incredible yeah. support network that's yeah. there. And I think if we're looking at it from... I guess, the reason behind our organisation, we really felt a need to, because of our own surrogacy journey, that when you are planning your route to parenthood, that you do sometimes, you you, you know, you don't think rationally and you, you sometimes do things in the wrong order. But we wanted to make sure that we we could build in all of the professional support as well. And yeah. and whether that was through support groups or linking in to, to trusted partners, it's keeping people on that straight and narrow, safe transparent route to parenthood and whether you got your support from support groups or whether you get that from an organization we ultimately at the core of this is making sure that there's a safe there's a safe journey to parenthood absolutely and if i could just add in one thing i suppose like after the baby is born and during the exit process you know you could reassure everybody that i mean armed key paternity services is one of the most efficient um, organizations uh we will do our best um the department of foreign affairs are outstanding. They're an outstanding part of our government. The people working there, the support that they have, you know, shown and, you know, through difficult times uh, for intended parents, be it through COVID, be it through the, you know, the outbreak of the war in the Ukraine, but even on a daily basis now, and applications for emergency travel certificates are going in. They are so careful. They make sure the documentation is correct and in order. I mean, and at the end of the day, this is really massive what we're doing. Like other countries, you know, you've got to wait. Like, I don't like in the UK, you're there for months until you get your, like, your proper English passport. The Department of Foreign Affairs, once the documentation is in order, 
her. They're giving an emergency travel certificate there. Once they've got the DNA and once they've got those documents, they're saying, OK, this child is the biological child of an Irish citizen. We're going to take this baby home, bring this baby back to Ireland. So I think that needs to be emphasized. It's huge. In other countries, the department, you know, their Department of Foreign Affairs could say, hold on a second now, this is so massive. We're bringing a, a child into the country. We're affording Irish, we're acknowledging this baby's an Irish citizen. Um, you're going to have to go through the whole process of getting a proper full Irish passport. But in order to get that family home and get that child back to Ireland and be, as I suppose, as empathetic as is possible, this is the system that's in place here in Ireland. So I think... Um, Everybody that is involved in the exit and absolutely I, I 100% agree and I know kind of from seeing parents once the baby's born you want to get home you want to get home you want to get home and it's like come on come on come on come on and we might have said beforehand look you know lads it could be six weeks it could be eight weeks it could be a month it could be but look whatever time it will be it will be but we will do our best to get you home as quickly as we can but you know rest assured that everybody from this side from the Irish end um, you know, is absolutely committed to doing their very, very, very best. And I include the Department of Foreign Affairs in that. I think they are a massive partner, a massive support, um, a massive, um, you know, they, they, they have been phenomenal. So, I mean, I would ha never have any uh, criticism, you know, or anything um, about the Department of Foreign Affairs. I think they're, they're phenomenal people. No, I agree because, you know, if you were British, you wouldn't be able to get an ATD. Mm. It's it, the, the the stance from the British government is this is a planned event, unless there is a there is a legitimate emergency, you cannot use an ETD to get home. You know the Irish are, are very different. You you can use that system, and the system works well. The system it works, works really, really well. well. Yeah. It's very yeah. efficient and it's very quick, mm. and it makes sense. It, 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 you can understand. If anybody wants to find out more about the whole process, the exit process, the 2012 Department of Justice guidelines sets out the whole thing about citizenship, nationality, the emergency travel certificate process, the DNA test. It's like a what three, four page document um, <clears> and it's um, it's excellent. So it's good. Like that's been there since 2012. It's very, very good and very informative. And we'll, we'll get a link in the bio. It'll be in the show notes. Where's... Show notes, sorry. <laughs> well, that was another great episode and because we love you all that's a two-parter it's new ways it is because there's so much rich content in this podcast and this particular episode we really wanted to make sure that it was you know in bite-sized chunks for people to take it in so we have made it into a two-parter so next week make sure you download this particular irish special episode irish irish special episode in partnership with Sims IVF. Sims IVF is committed to your family journey. Take the first step towards your future today. Visit their website at sims.ie to learn more about their services and success stories. Mm -hmm.